everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And now for the second week in a row, Pierre Lebrun floating somewhere in the Muskokas. And it's my pleasure to bring in Eric DeHatchek to help guide me through this episode of Two Man Advantage. And I just want to, I know Eric, you're on, in Ontario. Have you seen our friend Pierre Lebrun at any point just sort of floating by your window outside your cottage? Well, it would be impossible for me to do that because I'm floating in the Kawarthas and he's over ah. in the Muskokas. And, and I know that your ge- your knowledge of Ontario geography is such that uh, it would take a lot of floating on behalf of our friend to, to, to do that. In fact, I'm closer to Bob McKenzie than I am to, to Pierre, but I also have not seen Bob McKenzie floating by. So for most of us, again, but I will say this. Uh, compared to when I first started coming here more than 40 years ago, the ability to work when you're at your cottage is unbelievable. The, you know, Wi-Fi is everywhere. Satellite dishes are everywhere. It, it, you know, we've set up a special office where, uh, uh, in the back of our cottage where we can stay out of the way of the people that are actually on vacation. So it's, it's good. And by the way, it is scorching hot here. I'll bet it's hotter here than it is in Atlanta. <laughs> well, I do know. I do know that. I know that Pierre LeBrun will be uh, jealous that he's not with us today because, you know, for many years Pierre was an honorary citizen of San Jose, mostly during lots of long playoff runs, and it is our distinct pleasure today to welcome in the GM of the San Jose Sharks and, can I also add, Hall of Famer Doug Wilson. Doug, thanks for coming to hang out with us today. Well, thank you guys for putting up with me here. <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's start with let's start with the 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 big moment of the last couple of weeks. Um, can, walk us through the moment when you find out that you're a member of the 2020 class in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Doug, I know it's been a long time. What? Where were you? What was it like? What's what's that moment like for you? Well, it was an unexpected surprise. It was. Uh... It was one of those moments we've got uh, all our family. We were quarantining in, in Scottsdale, where we have uh, two of my children live here, and we have four of our grandchildren live within 100 yards of us. And uh, my youngest daughter had dr- driven up. She's seven months pregnant. So we had everybody kind of at the house just visiting. And and uh, when the call came from Lanny, I didn't necessarily put it together. And I hadn't talked to Lanny in a while. And then he started to talk, and I, I said, you know what? My wife is right here. Uh, a couple of my grandkids were chasing them around. I said, she needs to hear this because she's been as big a part of this as anybody in her family. And and then we congregated. She went and gathered the kids and got them all over and the grandkids. And when all they all came in the house, they thought something was wrong. They weren't sure if there was some bad medical news or whatever. And then when she told them, everybody, you know, the emotions got pretty high. And it was uh, it was a special moment to have the pretty well the whole family together at one time. Doug, did you feel at all that, that you know, just because it had taken as long from the time that you were originally eligible in the player category until you were finally elected, that, that it might not happen at all? Because I think a lot of people, um, yeah, I mean, I was, I served on the selection committee for 15 years, and uh, I, I think when people looked at your credentials and, and the things that you accomplished, uh, you know, they were certainly, you know, worthy of consideration for the Hall of Fame, but then there's an awful lot of people who fit into that category and, and might fall a couple of votes short one year and and and, and gain those votes the, the next year. So what had you put it out of your mind or or, or was is it something that you thought if it happens it's a bonus if not it's not going to define my life. 
Well, for the last part for sure, because I, I never I never expected this to happen. Um, and I look at it this way is that uh, for me, just to be considered over the years with the names of the people and, and uh, was enough of an honor. And you don't come into this league, you know, as this being one of your goals. You know, this is just a cher cherry on top of everything. And it's uh, I was so fortunate to play as long as I did with the, the people that I did and for the people that I did that um, um, this truly was unexpected. And, and I always joke, I mean, after 24 years, you're not exactly waiting by the phone. <laughs> and, 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 and I say that because, as I say, I didn't expect it. And I think there's so many players and people that uh, are as worthy or more worthy than me. And um, it just, it, it became a special moment because of all the, the recollections and, and going back and, and thinking of all the people that have been involved in my life in this entire journey. And it's, uh, it still hasn't completely sunk in, I'll be honest with you. Have you given any thought to, sorry, Scott, I just wanted to ask one more question about it because the one thing, unfortunately, we're in this coronavirus uh, period and, uh, and, and again, I've been associated with the Hall of Fame. One of, the, uh, Doug, honestly, the, the best part of this is the induction weekend and they, they do it up so well. And, uh, you know, you're there with a, a great class and, uh, and, and they organize it and it gives you an opportunity to, just what you said, to bring in all of the people uh, that mattered in your life, family, friends, former teammates, uh, just about everybody that goes through this experience, you know, tell, after the fact, will tell you that it's one of the highlights of their lives. And, and so because of the uncertainty, like, have you gotten any sort of specifics from the hall about how things might be different and, 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 you know, will this ceremony possibly be postponed? Where, where does that stand at, at this moment? Um, you know, I've got one update from uh, from Kelly from the Hall of Fame. She said, you know, they will make a decision whether they're uh, going to hold it in November or another time. Um, but I'll be honest with you, I uh, you touched on it, the reflection part of it, how it happens, when it happens. They'll let me know and I'll I'll make sure I'm there. <laughs> but I also know that um, uh, the reflection part of all the people that you just started talking about and making sure that they can be there and share that time. Whatever way it is done, whatever the new norm is, it will be such a, an honor and a special moment that um, uh, I get excited just thinking about it. I, I'm just curious, Doug, because you must have thought about what it might have been like over the years. But I wonder, was there something that surprised you about what has happened since Lanny called? Maybe you've heard from someone you didn't expect to or hadn't heard from a long time. Was there Has there been sort of a moment of, oh, I didn't think it would be like that thus far. And, and I expect there'll be lots more before this is, you know, the actual enshrinement. But I wonder if, if there's anything thus far that you've been like, OK, that... I didn't know it would be like that. Well, the, the just the sheer number, the volume of calls and emails and videos from uh, from people, and, and it makes you truly reflect. I've been in this business for a long time, for I guess forty years in the NHL, but it goes back even to my, you know, one of my high school teachers in Winnipeg that was there for me, uh, kids that I grew up with, you know, my best friend from the age of uh, four and five, Mike Stanton from Ottawa. I mean, the, all these things, uh, different parts in your life people that were there when my father passed away. Um, so there's just so many different emotions. I'm about two thirds of the way from getting back to everybody that reached out. And every time I do 20 calls, there's another 20 that come in and it's, uh, it's overwhelming. It, that part's overwhelming <clears throat> when you think how fortunate you are and it's gratitude of all these people at different points in your life. And the ones that really resonate with me are not the, 
necessarily the successes and the high moments. It's when people were there for you during the tougher moments. And uh, that jumps to the front of the line for me for many reasons. Yeah, that's a great point. And Doug, there weren't that many people around like me that were there when you were actually on the ice playing. So I, I will heartily endorse the selection because, frankly, you were one of the top defensemen of your generation. And uh, and some of those Chicago teams, honestly, those those playoff series against Edmonton, oh my goodness, I, I haven't seen them yet pop up on these NHL classic uh, uh, networks. You know, there's all kinds of games from this era and that era. And uh, I remember some of those really high scoring games and you know, back and forth, extraordinary to watch, uh, watch some of those. I'm sure, you know, as someone who was on the ice uh, playing against that, that dynasty team with all of the stars that you guys had, that, those have to be among your favorite on ice hockey memories. Oh, that, they were incredible. They were incredible. And, uh, Glenn Sather became a very good friend and a great mentor to me. And uh, it was funny that you remember all those games, but I, I do remember this playing for Glenn in the Canada Cup in 1984. It mm -hmm. was sure a lot more fun playing with Gretzky and Messier and <laughs> Coffee and Lowe and Fuhrer than it was playing against them. That I can tell you. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Uh, Doug, I'm, I, it's funny. I was I was trying to do my math, which is never my strong suit, but it strikes me that you have now been – the GM of the Sharks for almost as long, maybe exactly as long as you were a player in the NHL. And I wonder if there's ever a moment where you stop thinking of yourself as a player. And of course, you know, that you're going into the Hall of Fame as a player. But do you, is there a moment where you where you stop thinking of yourself that way? And because you've been an executive, you you have taken this Sharks team, I think, if I'm again, my math is right. I think this is just the second time since you took over that the Sharks won't be in the playoffs. And I wonder if that, if if you think about it in those terms, especially uh, getting the call to go in the Hall of Fame. Well, I look at that. I've been I've been part of this game for a long time, and you're exactly right. Um, whether it was as a player, whether it was working in the Players Association, whether it was being on the development side, being a GM. It's just a privilege to be in this league. And I've always looked at it that uh, my job is to be, you know, to give back to the game, to be a, a caretaker of the game. You know, the, the biggest influences in my life are people that truly love the game and realized that the game is bigger than all of us. And, and to be part of it for as long as I have in, in all the different areas of it, uh, uh, I really look at it that way. And a lot of the people that were so special to me that gave me their time, their wisdom, their knowledge, the only thing they asked in return was that you pay it forward. And I think hockey is really special because our greatest players think that. I mean, you look at the Wayne Gretzky's and the Bobby Orr's and the Stan Makita's and Bobby Hulls, it goes on and on, um, you know, and the present day stars, uh, uh, you know, look no further than a Joe Thornton, you know, like nobody loves the game more. And, I think that's truly what separates hockey and makes it special. You guys have been around this game a long time and you follow other sports. And yes, I'm biased, but I think it's the best game with the best people. And for me to have had two careers in this business is, uh, is off the charts fortunate. I, I, and what I would say, Doug, that's a great uh, um, leaping off point for us because the game is at an important crossroads right now with everything that's happening in the world. And I think that a lot of us that have covered this for a long time were very pleased to see that that the, the Players Association and the National Hockey League were able to craft you know, a draft of, of a new collective bargaining agreement and, and maybe put aside some of the issues that have divided them in the past in order to, to move forward together. Because 
you know, assuming that the uh, the agreement that's in place gets approved, it means that there should be labor peace for six years, and it may take a long time for whatever new normal evolves to um, to, to to come to the fore. What was your thought when uh, when you saw that uh, that these two sides had been able to to you know peaceably negotiate this uh, this agreement? Well, I think it's a credit to everybody involved. I mean, this is a time where the game has to come first, and I think all parties involved, uh, you know, and I, and I don't know all the details, but uh, really focused in on, on a couple of things. One, making sure that uh, health and safety of not only the players, but uh, people, employees and staff and community and fans was, uh, was right at the top of the list, which really, to me, is the most important thing in society right now. Uh, health and family uh, supersedes anything else and people being there and taking care of each other. And the fact that people were able to uh, make progress to get... Uh, what sounds like a, a long-term CBA done during that time frame is a credit to everybody involved, and I think a credit to the game. Doug, I'm, I'm curious, because you are in a, a unique situation for this franchise where you won't be part of the return to play, the round robin or the play-in, and, and you're going to have a long period of time before the Sharks are uh, back in in terms of meaningful hockey on ice moments uh, if we understand the schedule what's the biggest challenge for you and your staff do you think in in terms of making the best possible use of this extraordinary time and this long time away from actual hockey it it must be it must be something that is incredibly challenging and, and unique given where your team is usually at well i think it's unique and i think it's a matter of uh using this time to your advantage, to the best of your ability. And I'm very fortunate, uh, I've got a great staff um, that uh, you know we were preparing for the draft, not knowing when that was gonna take place. I think our guys had done about 150 to 160 Zoom interviews with potential draft candidates. So they were really getting the work done. We have our action item list and uh, you know we've been working on those things. I think even talking to our players and I've had uh, regular contact with all our guys, some of them getting healthy, you know, Tomas Hurdle, Logan Couture, Eric Carlson, having this opportunity to, you know, rehab completely and come back ready to go. And a lot of players that have played a lot of hockey, um, you know, the Brent Burns, Mark Edward Blasics, uh, you know, Martin Jones, these are still high-end guys that are very important to us, obviously. But using this time to to um, get some rest, get some training and uh, uh, and fitness in, they're all eager and excited to get going. Uh, the last time we missed the playoffs, which was 14-15, we went to the finals the next year. So I think time used well by guys that have great pride and character. I think we will bounce back. And uh, whenever it is we start up, our group will be ready to go. How do you feel about the this 24-team play-in uh, uh, playoff format? Uh, I, I, you know, the, the, my, my take on it, Doug, is that... Uh, that the best round of the NHL playoff is often the first round because, you know, like everybody's hungry and everybody's motivated and it's just, it's so exciting. And, and effectively we're going to get two first rounds. So I, 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 I think this is going to be really fun. Um, I know that you'll be watching it as a, as a fan or as a spectator, but what, what's your take on it? Uh, and, and, and how do you, how do you, you know, Scotty and I are eventually going to have to handicap this race. And, and I'm thinking, you know, like we always try to make educated guesses, but I don't even think a good uneducated guess is going to kill the time who comes out on top this time around. Well, I'm, I'm glad you guys are, are making those guesses and assumptions because it's uh, and I think you're right. Like the first round of the playoffs, you, you hold your breath, you got to get through them and you got to, you know, make sure you get, 
you know, you don't get distracted. Uh, the other, the, the original series with a best of five, I think you're going to have even more uh, moments that uh, uh, will ramp up the excitement. I do know this, um, and I go back to the nature of hockey players and the character. I think it'll be great hockey. Um, you know, assuming everybody's uh, ready to go and, and, and healthy and uh, uh, the format uh, which is in place is, is, um, is activated, which I do believe it will be. I think you'll see players playing at a level. Um, there might be a, a, a few more mistakes early on, but I think it's going to be great hockey. Um, the players will bring it all. It's going to be different. It's going to be unique. Nobody's ever been down this path before but I know the players will perform. Doug, just before we let you go, I <clears throat> you mentioned earlier right off the top talking about you know how important it is for family to have been a consideration in in you know what the league is planning and where they're going. I I'm curious because you have such an interesting interesting dynamic with Doug Jr as part of your staff. He's very heavily involved in draft preparation. I wonder how many of those interviews he's been involved in and I just wonder what that dynamic has been like to you know to go to work with your son and how maybe I don't know if it's different than you imagined it would be but I I just think it's such an interesting way for you to to sort of share your love of the game and obviously his love of the game and I wonder what you know what what that dynamic is like well it's it's been incredible and he's been trained by two of the best in the business and Timmy Burke and uh, and Joe Will you know Dougie worked for uh, the Dodgers for a while and Ed Coletti uh, that kind of mentored him a little bit. He's he's way smarter than I am, which is not saying a whole lot. Uh, he takes after his mother, thank God. But he's uh, he's had an amazing journey. Um, he's got a great, great work ethic. He, he went and got his MBA. He played hockey in, uh, at all different levels, played professionally in Sweden and Australia. Um, but his the thing that I'm most proud of him is his work ethic, his love for what he's doing. Um, he's learned from some wonderful people that... Uh, uh, you can just tell in this business, you know, when somebody has a passion for the game and then they throw in a tremendous work ethic. And as I say, he uh, he's been he's been headhunted by many other teams and I'm glad he's still with us. I, I just add, Scotty, can I ask one more uh, just before we, we get up? Because I because I, I wanted to reflect back on, on Doug's uh, playing career, because I, I do think that, you know, in terms of, of what we're going to see this summer, one of the biggest challenges for the players, they're so used to the excitement and energy level of an NHL building and as we all know in the playoffs that energy level is heightened by the fan experience you know when in Winnipeg they have the whiteouts and well as a player how do you adjust your mental outlook to to playing in an empty building to having like a be you know like similar to a practice or a de facto scrimmage I, I get that everybody is going to be motivated because the prize at the end of it is still the Stanley Cup but how do you how do you generate that kind of energy that you would normally get from the people that are in the stands that won't be there for this uh, tournament? Do you think, Doug? I got to be honest. I really don't know because I, I played in two of the loudest buildings, the Chicago Stadium right. and in and in San Jose, where our, our fans are so loud and so passionate. So I've never experienced that. And I, I really I don't know. Um, I do know that when the puck is dropped, players, are gonna, you know, the, the compete factor in their character. But will it be different without? Uh, the tremendous fans that we have in the building, it'll be different. Um, so I, I can't really, having not been through that, share with you, but it's uh, it's unique times that we're uh, we're dealing with. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, good stuff. Great stuff. Well, Doug, thank you for hanging out with us, and I hope your family continues to stay healthy and safe as as we work our way through this. And and once again, uh, congratulations on the the long awaited call from the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's a it's a tremendous honor and well deserved. And we feel honored that you've hung out with us for a while today. So thank you for for taking the time. Well, thank you, guys. Make sure you're safe and healthy. You take care of everybody and each other. So thank you for the time today. Thanks, Doug. Thanks very much, Doug. All right, Eric, that was uh, that was so much fun. And uh, I, I, I'm so curious to see what you think of this because of your experience with the Hall of Fame Selection Committee. And I'm going to ask you that in about a very brief moment. I don't even know how long the commercials uh, run, even though I read them. So uh, we are going to take a brief – we are going to take a commercial break. But we will come right back and we'll follow up with our discussion with Doug Wilson. So stay right with us. Support for Two Man Advantage is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And big news, Manscaped just launched in Canada. For those listeners in Canada, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and have their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. If you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's right. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time... Subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC. All right, Eric, that was uh, that was so much fun, and uh, I, I, I'm so curious to see what you think of this because of your experience with the Hall of Fame Selection Committee. And Eric, so I, I'm, we asked Doug about what it was like for him when he found out he was going in the Hall of Fame. You, you know, you understand the process so well for your long tenure on the Selection Committee. What would you, what did you think when when Doug went in? Because you you know better than any that it you know, the long gap uh, between his eligibility and when he finally got the call. What was your response to it? Well, uh, again, I I, I I wasn't really surprised. And, and what I will tell you is that, you know, so when you join the Hall of Fame Selection Committee, you sign a, a confidentiality agreement where you agree not to talk about what goes on in the actual committee meetings. And that's done so that people can speak frankly about the pros and cons of, uh, of the various candidates and, and not worry that it's going to be out on Twitter five minutes later that you might have been critical of a candidate. But the one thing that they that the Hall of Fame has always stressed, and, and I'm a little surprised that there isn't more of an emphasis put on, is, is they, they will allow you to talk about process. And so there's a couple of things that, that I don't think are necessarily 
well understood by by the general public. Like I read a, a number of uh, of people in social media and, and and other commentators saying, "Well, why now is Doug Wilson elected to the Hall of Fame? Uh, you know, when he wasn't 20 years ago." And the simple matter is that the selection committee has changed dramatically since then. And uh, you know, the 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 idea that that the committee is static is false. It is a fluid body. And and I, like I'm a, a real good example. I joined in 2004. And in my first meeting, I had Stan Makita sitting on one side of me and, and, and Ed Chenoweth on, on the other. And, and everyone that was on the committee when I started is no longer on the committee except for John Davidson, who, is, who has stayed on uh, as, the, as, the, as the committee chairman. And, and over the course of, of time, you know, that, you know, that committee has, has changed lots even during those. Like I was there for the maximum 15-year term. But but you know there have been people that were on for for a three year term and then were replaced. People were on for two three year terms and were replaced. So if you look back, I, I'm I'm going to guess that in the years that you know since Doug first became eligible, that there would be 25 new voices, 25 new faces, 25 people that bring a different viewpoint about someone's Hall of Fame uh, credentials. And the other thing that's worth stressing is that. It's difficult to get 14 out of the 18 people because there's 18 people that sit on, on the committee. You need 14 votes to get in. So if, if a candidate happens to be a couple of votes short, uh, you know, the, and, and then, you know, a hand, handful of people rotate off the committee and, and the new people on the committee, you know, are in favor of that candidate. You know, 12 can become 14 pretty easily. And, and, that, and that, that gets you over the top. And so, you know, like and, and we're not just talking specifically about Doug Wilson. You know, people ask that question when Mark Recchi went in after a long wait, when Eric Lindros went in after a long wait, when Dave Anderchuk went in after a long wait. And, and my answer is, is simple. And it's right there. The Hall of Fame gives you the list of people that are that are voting and and we're not allowed to say how close a, a candidate was but but i but i would venture that it's reasonable to speculate that that if somebody got elected after a long wait that they probably weren't that far off and they were probably had a a, a fair bit of support in in the beginning and and just needed a couple to get over the top i think i think anyway that i that's what happens in the macro picture and i think that if you know it would apply to to doug but it also applies to a whole bunch of other candidates that that weren't necessarily first ballot hall of famers well now i'll tell you one of the one of my favorite exercises in recent months at the athletic has been one that you organized which was for the athletic uh to do its own hall of fame voting using uh, essentially the 2020 class. And um, I thought you did, it sound, I'll sound like Eddie Haskell, but I thought you did a masterful job because what it did was really explain the process and and some of the misconceptions about it. And I, and I think just judging from the way our colleagues responded at the end of it, was like, holy cow, I didn't know it was going to be that hard. I didn't know that's how it would unfold. And I, I just think it's... Um, you know, it was a really worthwhile experience. And certainly if you're listening to this, go out and read that piece right now. Well, wait till you get to the end of the podcast and then go and read it. But um, I, I just thought it was really important to be able to share that, not just with our staff, but obviously with, with our readership as a whole. And I, I wonder if you were surprised by that exercise in, in a way, like when you were thinking about putting it together, oh, I wonder how this will work. Was yeah. it different than you thought? 
No, no, because I knew it would be an exercise in herding cats, and that was exactly <laughs> what it was. And, 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 uh, and, and as you know, I, I, I can be a pretty patient person, and I think I was. So I, I, I was trying to make the point, and, and the whole idea came from the fact that okay, the Athletic did a, pr a project about a month before, uh, you know, during the, the period of time where there hasn't been sports, we've been doing these weekly blitzes, and they're all themed, and, and I think they've produced some fairly interesting stories, and one of them was Hall of Fame snubs. And, uh, and I objected to the use of the term snub when it applies to, to hockey, because I was making the point that if, uh, if, if, for example, there was a presidential election in the United States or, or an election for prime minister in Canada, if a particular candidate were to receive 67% of the popular vote, that would be considered politically a, a historical landslide. And yet, if you got 12, if you got 67% of the vote for the Hall of Fame, you wouldn't make it because that's 12 out of 18 and you need 14. But I was trying to illustrate that point because there was an awful lot of people that raised their hands and said, this person's a surefire Hall of Fame and that person's a surefire Hall of Famer. And I said, well, not only do you have to consider these candidates that you think are snubbed, but you also have to factor in new new candidates every year. So we can't just elect and, you know, or, or ponder if, if we're doing this according to the rules, we can't just look at the people that uh, that have been overlooked over the years. I said, because this year, you know, Jerome again, for sure, you know, looks like yeah. the first ballot, probably unanimous. And Marion Hosa, you know, again, I, I think a Hall of Famer, but but I wasn't 100 percent sure whether our committee or the, the real committee would elect on the first ballot. We both did. And um, so, uh, so suddenly there's only two places left in, in the male player category. And, and we elected uh, Doug Wilson and Alex McGillney and, and uh, the actual Hall of Fame elected Doug Wilson and Kevin Lowe. And if you look at my first ballot, because we did all this, I had Doug Wilson and Kevin Lowe on my first ballot. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I still have a foot in the old Hall of Fame too. But so, but no, you asked about the surprise. No, I wasn't because, and and I, but I was pleased. I was very pleased that that all of my colleagues, um, as you pointed out in, in in the way you framed your question, got a greater appreciation for how difficult it is. And uh, and 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 it's just like it's a good system. Those, those people that you serve. I mean, honestly, Anders Hedberg, Igor Larionov, Yari Curry, Mike Gartner, Luke Robitaille. You know, uh, media people like Bob McKenzie and Mark Dufois and Michael Farber. I mean, they put a lot of time and effort and work into doing this. These are people that are knowledgeable about the game. They, they, they don't. They they've been they're experienced at it. They've been watching for a long time. Uh, it, it's it's a really good group that takes it very serious. It's a volunteer position. You get paid nothing for it. You just you, know, you give up. You know, a, a you know, certain amount of your time to to do it, and you do it because it's it's important and because it's fun. Um, so I, I think they do a really good job, but in, invariably, you know, they that they, they get criticized. Our group got criticized. You know, people in Ottawa are still mad because we didn't elect Daniel Alfredson. And and uh, and and, and I, I don't know what to tell them other than to reiterate that it's hard to get 14, hard to get 14. And in Alfredson's case, you know, like he, it may be a long time before he can get 14. So it, it's it's a challenging process, but I think it's a fair process. And, um, you know, again, my association with the committee for 15 years, I, I, I mean, it was great. I, it was my favorite day of the year. Uh, I miss not being on, on the committee. And I find that as, you know, every year passes that, that you know, once I pass my term limit, um, you know, like I, I thought I would, I would miss it less, but, but actually I miss it more. So that's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, do it again, but it? those are the rules. <laughs> 
so here I, and we're gonna take we're gonna take a break here in a second um but i want to follow up and maybe i don't know if you can answer this question or not i don't think it's a confidentiality thing but i'm curious about what your relationship or relationships within that committee how that changed over time and you talk about when you first walked in i can't imagine like how nervous you might have been maybe i don't know what it was like when you first walked through the door but maybe at the end after 15 years did you feel your relationship with the the greats of the great who are uh, the gatekeepers to the the greatest you know sort of um, honor i think for a lot of people in in the game of hockey what that evolution was like for you yeah well i, I can tell you uh, and i don't think this you're right i don't think this breaches confidentiality so my very first meeting I go to 2004 i go in there i take my seat at the table i'm nervous i'm wearing a suit and tie uh, I look around the room and I, you know, I see, you know, Frank Advari, Frank Selke Jr., Dick Irvin, Serge Savard, Pat Quinn, Dick Patrick, uh, Marty Pavlich, Emil Francis. I, I, and and, and I, I had this thought, you know, where if there was a camera at the top of the, the room and it started at one side of the room and started Al Arbor, yeah, belongs, you know, Emil Francis, yeah, and then goes around and then finally they, they come around and it's like, hey, What's that guy doing in there? Get him <laughs> out of here! Because you, you, you absolutely—I, 48 years old, five years or more—but, but I still didn't think that uh, that I had enough experience, and I was very grateful that Bill Hay had invited me to join the committee, and that all the, the Hall of Fame board of directors saw fit to include me in in the group. And then, yes, over time, you start to feel a little bit more comfortable. And uh, I don't think I said very many words that first meeting, but. Uh, you know, when prompted by the chairman, you know, I answered what, you know, to the, to the best of my ability. And, uh, you know, and, and over time, you, you start to feel a little bit more confident and maybe, you know, speak a little bit more more freely. And uh, and I guess the only way of, of knowing whether you're doing the job right or not is that, you know, that, you know, I that my three-year terms renewed four different times. And uh, so I guess that must have been an indication that they were, you know, they were okay with me there. So, but yeah, in the beginning, Scotty, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. What's that guy doing there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think they had the right man there. That's for sure. And um, don't go away, Eric, because we're going to take another brief uh, break and we'll come back and we'll finish up talking some play in hockey, hub cities, maybe a little CBA stuff. Uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back. If you were to guess on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer... Complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. 
Uh, all right, Eric. Um, getting towards the end here. Let me ask you this: when when you think about the possibility that in about three weeks we're going to be seeing, if all things go well, the first hockey in four and a half months in the hub cities of Edmonton and Toronto. The the eight play-in rounds and the eight teams involved in the round robins for and each of the hub cities. Are you are you optimistic it's going to happen? What's your level of? I'm going to use it's like a double bear thing: optimism and excitement. Maybe they'll be the same. Maybe they'll be different. But what when you think about it, it could be happening very quickly. When it seems like we've been waiting an awfully long time. How are you feeling right now? Well, I'm optimistic that they'll get it underway according to the schedule that they've got. Uh, you know, you, uh, you know, you reported very extensively on on the on the cautions that that they're taking and, and oh my goodness i i'm reading you know phase three and phase four and you know what it reminded me of scotty i, I felt like i was in summer school it was it felt like <laughs> oh boy there's nothing worse right than summer school like you know, september to june you know when you're doing school okay you, you know that's part of what you did as, as a kid but boy I, you know I, I did summer school once and i hated it and that's what it felt like it felt like why am i reading this dense difficult stuff to digest uh, late at night and it's going to keep me awake so but but i will say this you know like when after i read the the protocols that they had agreed to i thought well they seem to have covered just about every every contingency and uh, you know, certainly 15 people in the, in the traveling party 43 of those roles are specified which is the job that you would least like to have me it's number 10 club compliance officer what a thankless job that is going to be but but but, but i do think i i do think that, um, that there is a very good uh, yes that i'm optimistic i'll get this thing underway and um and then you know i mean it's when you count this play and round and then you know then you know uh, four rounds of best of seven you know you're talking about probably you know nine to ten weeks of hockey so could something go wrong over nine to ten weeks of hockey in a in a body contact sport yes absolutely so you know that that's where my optimism may you know wane a little bit over time that that, that something happens and uh, um, you know there's a you know like it's one thing to have one or two positive tests on a team but if, but if if it spreads through a team you know do they forfeit do they lose I mean there, there's you know, the, the, the possibilities just because of all of the uncertainty of, of something going wrong over that length of time. And, you know, you have to acknowledge if, if you're going to be a realist that, uh, that it could happen. So that, that I think would be like a, a major challenge uh, for the National Hockey League. And in terms of excitement, yeah, like one of the points that I was trying to make in the, you know, when we were back and forth with Doug Wilson was that, you know, I love the first round of the NHL playoffs. I, you know, like in a, normally when, you know, when, you know, when, when all this other stuff isn't going on, you know, we're picking hockey pool teams, we're making predictions, the players are excited, everybody thinks they've got a, a chance. And, and so we're going to see effectively two first rounds. And uh, and that's fantastic. I mean, that that part of it, um, the, you know, like it's, you know, it's, it's hard enough to make picks rationally when, you know, when you have all the evidence, you know, and then, you know, Columbus goes and sweeps camp and it's like, okay, well, everything that we think we know about hockey out the window and and then you know the the, the four-month layoff the, the uncertainty over how players are going to come back in terms of their their conditioning you know will some 
be ahead of others? I think so. I, I think that there, there's kind of a consistency to physical conditioning at the start of most seasons because people can do their own programs. They have their trainers. They, they skate at a certain time. But, you know, because people are quarantined in, in different locations and, it, you know, like it, it, it's going to be all over the map, I think, in terms of, of how fit some players are and how, how much work others are, are going to have to do. So, um, but that, but that uncertainty is what drives professional sport, isn't it, Scott? I mean, you know, like we we watch because we don't know the outcome, and and I think that um, that that is what is going to create a level of interest among hockey fans because who knows, right? Like who knows what's going to happen? You know, I I don't think there are any favorites. I was trying to get Mark Giordano going on this. Um, couple of weeks ago on a zoom call i said how do you pick a favorite and he said well you know the, the favorite would be the team with the best record eh, yeah okay I, I guess i can go along with that i i i honestly think that every team that uh, that is going to assemble for their training camp next week is going to think this is a unique opportunity to win a championship let's make the most of it yeah oh you know what it's so funny i was so i was uh, working on a piece on the the opt-out clause and whether nhl players how many or what that might look like when when the players get done assuming that they ratify the CBA and return to play protocols and and they'll have 72 hours to um you know to formally declare that they're going to opt out to, from playing and without penalty which is as it should be and it was it's interesting to see you know how that might unfold but just uh, apropos of nothing I was talking to a veteran agent um and he offered me his because uh, we were talking about this exact same thing like wow how crazy is it going to be like which team you know I mentioned uh, a couple times this week I really like Vancouver right like I, I know they're not quite fully formed yet I know the defense maybe not quite you know Stanley Cup worthy but Jacob Markstrom is unbelievable I love that group up front Tyler Toffoli all those kinds of things and um and and but this agent was like well you know here's what I think will happen and he likes uh, Philly beating Vegas in the final and I was like, okay, well, yeah, it, why not? But uh, to your point, maybe it's like you can literally, maybe not to win the cup, but you can certainly make a case for all of the 24 teams to win a play-in round and a round, I think, at least. And I, I'm with you. I think it's just fascinating to if they can pull it off, just what kind of mayhem there will be uh, in the first, in those, basically in those first two first rounds and do you have a team do you have a are you like okay you know what this might be this might be my columbus over tampa or this might be you know whatever well so uh, so here's how i'll answer that question scott i i thought the team that was playing the best hockey at the pause were the winnipeg jeff i just seen them play a couple of games and uh, they'd had a real up and down kind of a year because they'd had to replace everybody on the right side of that defense and, and i thought that paul maurice was a candidate for coach of the year because of the way he managed to keep that team afloat and then at the trade deadline they picked up Dylan DeMello and it solidified the blue line a little bit further Connor Hellebuck is having an exceptional year in goal and so I mean I had Winnipeg down as as one of the teams you know going into the final month of the season they were like on the cusp of either making the playoffs or not making the playoffs but I I thought in my own mind and I think I wrote this in, in one of my Friday notebooks that that they could be like uh, like Nashville was a few years ago, where they, you know, they're they're touch and go. They're in a fight to get into a playoff spot, but they're playing really well down the stretch. They make the playoffs, and then they 
they go all the way to the Stanley Cup final. So, so at the pause, the team that I was most focused on is Winnipeg. And so Winnipeg is playing Calgary, and I'm based in Calgary in, in the opening round. So it's really difficult. But for me, you know, like, okay, on paper, you know, I like Winnipeg's I like Winnipeg's goaltending better than Calgary's. On paper, I like Calgary's defense better than than Winnipeg's defense. And, and up front, both teams have you know four or five really exceptional offensive players. And then you know then, then you know then a, a, a relatively similar kind of a, a supporting cast. So it's a complete coin flip. So I can see Winnipeg losing in the first round, but I can also see them winning the Stanley Cup. I like their pieces in the same way that you like uh, Vancouver's pieces. I, I like Winnipeg's and. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, Vegas's first year, uh, I thought Winnipeg was going to be in the final that year. And as I recall, weren't they up 2-1 in the series or one nothing in the series? And somehow they just they just kind of their play, their overall play dropped for a little bit. And then and then suddenly they're gone in the in the conference championship. But that team is fundamentally uh, very sound and and. You know, Nick Ehlers took a step this year, and uh, and Wheeler's still great. And Shifley probably didn't have his best year, but boy, what a monster he is in the, in the playoffs. So I, you're asking for a, a dark horse pick. I'm going to throw Winnipeg out. Before we leave, uh, I want to know because you are, apart from being master of hockey, you're also master of music, and specifically master of summertime music and i wonder if there is what's your go-to during the pandemic i know you've you um you know got back to your family cottage you're working away there what's the summer what what's your what are the high points what's your go-to on in terms of uh pandemic summer tunes (laughs) okay well so that's a great question uh and and the answer is it's all over the map so when when the pandemic started I created two playlists. Um, you know, I, one I called Apocalypse Now, and uh, and the other I called Apocalypse Not. And so, you know, on the one hand, uh, Apocalypse Now had you know fairly pessimistic songs. I think I started with Splendid Isolation by by Warren Zevon and and uh, Everything's Different Now by Till Tuesday. And I, I don't have the list in front of me, but I could. Uh, uh, I could send it to you, and that. But then I also had, uh, you know, a, a, a list of, uh, of of positive songs, you know, Apocalypse Not, and uh, you know, Don Mellencamp singing "Your Life Is Now," uh, uh, the Thrills singing "This Year Could Be Your Year." So, so I listened to those playlists back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for for most of you know six to eight weeks while I was going out for for walks. But what happens is when the calendar clicks over to June twentieth or twenty first, I always go to my ultimate summer playlist. And so I've been crafting this since the, the late 1970s when uh, my f- former college uh, uh, um, friend James Miritich and I shared a townhouse for two years. So he was the music critic at, at our paper and we would often have, we six times a year, we'd have these massive parties and we'd create cassettes. That's how long ago it was. And then we'd do these playlists. And then one of the first ones was a, was a summer party. Um, we actually framed it as an anti-stampede party because we were Easterners that had settled in Calgary and, uh, and we just hadn't embraced that whole country ethic at that point. And uh, so I've been redoing my ultimate summer playlist over and over again. And, uh, and my rule is that um, for ultimate summer, uh, you have to have summer in the title. So you know, then it comes down to, okay, what are the greatest summer songs of all time? Well, Summer in the City by The Love and Spoonful is, is right up there. I think um, Summer Teeth by Wilco. Uh, the Other Side of Summer by Elvis Costello. 
I'll put Boys of Summer by Don Henley up against Girls in Their Summer mm -hmm. Clothes by, uh, by Bruce Springsteen. Um, there's a song by Chris Rea called Looking for the Summer. I almost always start with that because it anticipates summer. At the end of the playlist, there's songs by Dusty Springfield, Summer is Over, uh, uh, Dar Williams, The End of the Summer. And, and there's all kinds of songs in between. There's probably six or seven songs called Summer. Uh, War has a song called Summer. Um, there's Summer Elements. So you can do Summer Rain, you know, by Belinda Carlisle or Summer Rain by Johnny Rivers. Or you could do Summer Wind by, by Frank Sinatra, <laughs> Summer Breeze by Seals and Croft. So it's all over the map, Scotty. And, and well over 100 songs right now. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, like, I'm, and I'm like old school. I still buy songs off of iTunes. I bought the new Jimmy Buffett uh, CD off of uh, Amazon. I want, I didn't, I, I paid to download it and then I bought the hard copy, which is probably stupid, but uh, but that's what I do. And uh, and I've been listening to the new Buffett CD on the stereo here. And so, so yes, I, um, I, I have been listening to a lot of music. And for the most part, you know, the music that I listen to is quite optimistic. And whenever I find that I'm having one of those, as Jimmy Buffett says, you know, you have good days and bad days and going half mad days. And when you're having one of those bad days or going half mad days, I always find that that uplifting music is often the cure. And um, and so that's what I listen to. Uh, well, I tell you, I always I feel I always feel better when I talk to you, but I feel especially uh, buoyant. Uh, having had this conversation and, of course, our conversation with Doug Wilson, so it's been tremendous. And speaking of listening, if you are in the mood for another athletic podcast, you should check out uh, Straight from the Source with Mike Russo as Ryan Donato joins him this week at The Athletic. And former LA Kings executive Mike Fuda spends the full 60 with Craig Custance this week at The Athletic. You should always check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. Please do that. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash Two Man Advantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And with that, my friend, thank you so much for hanging out. It's been an absolute treat. So Eric DeHatchik. Enjoy the rest of your day. Listen to some. Uh, listen to the the non-apocalyptic music. I, I'm in. I'm in that mood now. Uh, that's good. Well, thank you, Scotty. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, you know, we should just tape our phone conversations and turn them into podcasts in the future because they they work along the same lines, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, my friend. Anyway, take care and thank thank you again. All right, thank you. Bye.